Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glicksman. My tag team partner is Matt Story. And the two of us may be the only people who weren't on the ASU coaching staff with a photo of James Harden and us on his official recruiting visit to ASU. I think we might be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, a, lot of, a lot of folks have come and gone since then. Coaches and players and staff and et cetera. And yes, that, that photo holds up, and it holds up uh, even better now. MVP. You may not have noticed, but the first MVP to attend college for basketball in the state of Arizona went to Arizona State. Yeah, and I like that. I like that. Now, I, I'll ask you what you think. Um, trust me, I love that note. But the you know social media um, you know flexing of muscle, I feel like that's a battle that just uh, like let's not you know let's not do it because if we're going to get into one upsmanship, we're going to lose that on most accounts when it comes to basketball. The point that you've made that I think is important for this for ASU is James Harden was very good here. He won the Pac-12 Player of the Year. Numerous Wildcats have won Pac-12 Player or Pac-10, Pac-12 Player of the Year. Pac-10 now Pac-12, right, right. He, He was a very good college basketball player, and his game has ripened in the NBA considerably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he is a great example, and we see it a lot now. These these guys, they come in pretty raw, and and you know it it, and then they leave at a young age. They don't, you know, I mean, they they don't really grow and develop over the course of four years like they used to. They're there for a year, maybe two. And then it takes a while and and they're, you know, and then you look up three, four years later and it's like, wow, that guy's really good. Where's he been? Well, where he's been is, is, you know, getting better, but kind of doing it in anonymity. Now for him, it wasn't anonymity because OKC was good. He was a sixth man, um, you know, one sixth man of the year, I think in his second or third season, you know, in the pros, um, centerpiece of a big uh, trade, right? or at least a a noteworthy trade. Yeah, and that was the you know the move that really opened up his game and, and allowed him to become a go-to guy, which you know you and I have talked about a lot over the years. I I didn't know that he was capable of that, being a top guy on a good team. You know, you just wonder if he would be ready for that role, but he has proven to be. Um, and yeah, here he is. You know, but yeah, I mean it's it's similar to his former teammate Russell Westbrook. I mean, you know, we saw Russell Westbrook play at UCLA over the course of a couple of years, would you have ever guessed that guy was going to go on to be an MVP and all NBA and all those things? I certainly wouldn't have, but you know, the, the game was there. It just took a while to grow. Yeah. He, he had all of these tools and he was, you know, athleticism transfers freak athletes right. in one, you know, level are usually still freak athletes in sure. the next. I don't know if you, become a freak athlete after college. I think that's not probably not. No, but I think when you are one, you can tell like this guy's special on a different level here. Yeah. Now the, the interesting part of that though is Russell Westbrook because he is a freak athlete. And I think in part, and I mean, look, they were successful. I'm not, you know, but I think in part because of the way that team was coached and strategized, you didn't really see it. Not that he wasn't a freak athlete, but you just didn't see it because that was not a team that let him run up and down and handle the ball. And, you know, he was a good player in college, but 
I remember when he got drafted in the top five and thinking, okay, you know, it was he, he was good, but boy, was he that good? I don't think so. But obviously they saw something that really wasn't maximized as much at UCLA probably. It makes you look back at college coaches and, and think about what what were they doing. And, right. and, and guys who are the opposite, you know, some college coaches, rightly so, say, look, this is my system. You, yeah. I, I'm recruiting you to play this system, and maybe you'd be a better fit in a different system, <laughs> but you're, you're a fine fit for this. I mean, Jim Beheim is the example in sure. my head that I'm thinking of, which is, you know, we play right. Zone. That's what right. we do. Right. And you're going to come and in you and you're going to play it. zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> I think, you know, Howland kind of did that at UCLA. I mean, Howland coached a lot like Herb Sendek. They didn't, you know, they didn't run up and down. And again, he was successful. No, you know, I would not criticize him. I mean, they, they went to three straight Final Fours. Westbrook was on two of those teams. Um, and for the first year, wasn't even a starter. You know, he kind of was a a real late bloomer when it came to college and prospect, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's not like you can say, well, geez, he didn't coach Russell Westbrook well, you know, but it just, it's interesting. And, and you could probably say the same in some ways for Harden. Like Harden was not in an offense and a system that really took, you know, great advantage of his offensive ability. I mean, it was a slowdown offense. It was playing zone. Um, now his game has grown a lot too. But, you know, in a different system in college, in Bobby Hurley's system, would Harden have put up, you know, 25 points a game? Probably so. But that wasn't what the team was designed to do back then. Well, and he also was a free throw shooter, but the game wasn't about hunting fouls the way right. it became. Like, right. he, it was one of the things that was in his skill set at ASU. If, if we needed a bucket or we needed to shift momentum – he could get to the basket and finish or get fouled. Yeah. But sure. it didn't become the dominant feature of his game until really the last few years at Houston. Playing for Houston. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he became a, I mean, he's, he's one of the league leaders every year, if not the league leader in free throw attempts. Um, you know, has definitely another guy, you know, much like Steph Curry and Westbrook, and, you know, a guy who is a product of the era he plays in, um, you know, in a, in a different era when the game wasn't officiated the same way and you wouldn't get these many, this many free throw attempts and you know, would his success be different? Uh, I mean, he played different. It's hard to say, you know, he'd have a different style. He's, he's taught, he's taken advantage of the era he plays in again, a lot like a guy like Steph Curry, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, a guy like Steph Curry is a, is a role player because the game just wasn't this way. You didn't shoot threes like this. You didn't, you know, the game was more physical. Now, you know, he's a great fit for today's NBA, and so is Harden. Yeah, the the era of the three-point specialist as a bench role, <laughs> you know, guy to have if you need him, Steve Kerr, right. is gone now. And that it's, guy is the starter. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because everybody shoot threes. You know, everybody has adopted this mentality of threes and free throws. And, and, you know, I mean, it used to be a joke in the, you know, when you watch sports center when we were kids and the lost art of the mid range jumper. And now it's really true. Like, you know, teams actively preach against mid range shots. You know, they, I mean, coaches will tell you that the shot from just inside the three point arc is the worst shot you can take because it's a low percentage shot 
that if it goes in, only gets you two points. And if it does, you know, and, and if you stepped a couple steps back and you made it, you got three points. So take more threes. I mean, the Houston Rockets are a great example. They just bomb threes. And it, it, it came back to haunt them in the, in the worst time this year at Game 7 when they couldn't, they couldn't hit a three to save their life. Um, but that's what they do. I mean, their philosophy is we're going to shoot 40 or 50 threes a game. We feel like we're going to make a lot of them try to beat us. And not many teams did over the course of this season. This is a long build to get to a really great payoff as an ASU fan and as a James Harden fan. Yeah. Do you think that he is if he is at or around this level for two more seasons and has a Chris Paul like gradual tail off to his career. Yeah. Is he a Hall of Famer? Especially yeah, with the way the basketball right Hall of Fame is. Yeah, I think he's a Hall of Famer right now. I mean, uh, I don't know I you know, I don't know the numbers, but how many guys have been all NBA first team four plus times and not made the Hall of Fame? I bet very few, if any, that are eligible. Obviously, you know, when I talk about guys who, who you know, are retired but not yet eligible or still playing. Um, I think he is. I mean, given and, and given that basketball also takes into account your international play, he was part of a gold medal team, he was part of a world championship winning team. Um, so he's got that, you know, he's a scoring champ. Uh, I mean, to me, already, his career is better than a guy like Tracy McGrady, and Tracy McGrady just got in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, I mean, I would say yes. I'm with you. I think that is a feather in the cap of ASU basketball. Oh, it is, no doubt, no doubt. And I mean, I told you, and I don't know if you stayed on TNT long enough to see the commercial or saw it on Twitter, but... You know, great commercial right after the show for Adidas, which helps, of course, that we're associated with. You know, that's probably why we appeared. But you know, the, to to the commercial with his mom narrating, and you know, in the desert you grew your game, and I mean, really a, a great commercial that you know, as an ASU fan and somebody from that era, we got to see him play. I mean, it you know, it's it's a you know, it's a goosebump inducing type of commercial, um, and was really cool to see. And yeah, can't hurt. Certainly can't hurt. Um, you know, how much does it matter? I, I don't know. I mean, does it matter? Does it help us win a game this year? Not directly. Um, but, you know, the, the benefit of getting a guy like him and people think, hey, James Harden went there. I like James Harden. I want to play there, too. It sure can't hurt. The star of that commercial and narrator is the photographer of our James Harden picture. That's right. Picture, That's right. Yes, yes. Who was the, probably the most excited person of the four of us for that photo op because the two of us were a little bit, first of all, like th- this is James Harden, right? I mean, we, we were sure by the time we got it, but there was a little bit like, uh, I think that's James Harden. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he didn't seem that excited, but you know, he was a 17 year old kid. Um, but his mom was certainly excited that somebody wanted a photo with her son. Absolutely. And, and now it's probably, you know, commonplace, but uh, back then again, that's, that's why I was, great that we met him when we did because like when he was here for his jersey retirement two or three years ago i attempted to get that photo signed uh and he had an entourage and he you know walks out get it gets into a you know luxury limo and you know like yeah times have changed he's not 17 year old james harden anymore he just walk up to it say hi um 
No, not at all. But, uh, yeah, great, great moment, definitely. Very cool. And, yes, I would say so. Now, let me let me throw out another piece, and, and if you want to come back to this another time, we can. I have on my wall here a poster of the NBA at 50 when they did the 50 greatest players. We're three years away from 75th anniversary. got me thinking – do they do a you know an update? Seventy five greatest players add twenty five whatever. Uh, I would argue James Harden probably goes into that category. Am I crazy to say that? Is that too biased? I don't think it's too biased. I'm trying to think. I mean, there's a few uh, no brainers. Top seventy five all times. So guys who let's talk about guys who would be added to the list right now who weren't on the list sure. before. I mean, if we do if we do twenty five more. Let's say we keep the fifty we've got. Yeah, you know we're not we're not taking anybody off. But I mean, there's a few Le- that are like LeBron, Durant, LeBron, Curry. I would say Duncan and Kobe, no brainers. Yeah. Um, was Shaq already Queen on Wade. the list? Shaq was on there already. Yes, okay. Shaq was on there, which he probably shouldn't have been at the time because he only played three years. But now, but he as it turns be. out, deservedly, <laughs> yeah. Um, Shaq was on there, so I, yeah. I mean, I think I think you've got LeBron, Kobe, Duncan. Durant, Curry, Wade. Wade, I would say I agree with you. Uh, Dirk, uh, Kevin Garnett. Bosh? Um, Is Chris Bosh on that list? I'm not sure about Chris Bosh. I thought about him. He's a Hall he of Famer, I think. He might be, yeah. I mean, I, to me, I, I kind of I thought about this a few nights ago because um, this came, you know, when he won the MVP. And I was kind of, you know, thinking about it. I, I came up with, I think, about 15 names that I felt like were yes. You know, and then a, and then a handful that you start kind of like, eh. I mean, one that one that is tough is Dwight Howard. People are down on Dwight Howard, but Dwight Howard had a run where he was the most dominant big man in the game for a period of time. Went to I a don't final. know if he goes on that list. I'm not sure I would. Yeah, I mean, that's an he's an interesting one. I, I think. Um, what do you do if if somebody's getting that Shack rolled? Um, yeah, it's tough with guys. I mean, yeah. I guess, you know, the, the debate would be guys like Westbrook and Harden. Have they done enough to already get in that mix? Um, Anthony Davis. I don't think Anthony Davis yeah. is there yet. I mean, it's I like don't. guys like Giannis, AD. Right. Um, Carl Towns. Uh, I mean, these, these are guys that look like great players, but we're not there yet. Like, the potential's there. Is Chris Paul on the list? I think Chris Paul is. Yeah, I would put him on there. I think so. Um, I'd add Allen Iverson to me, a, a no-brainer, put him in that mix. Um, Reggie Miller was a guy who wasn't on there, even though he played some of his career at that time. I think Reggie Miller deserves to be in that in that conversation. Um, you know, there's a few other. I mean, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, I think probably so. Both of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, could hear the argument of against um, – Biased here a bit, I'll admit it, but Manu Ginobili? Maybe, I mean, he's a key cog on multiple title Four teams. championship teams. Sixth yeah, man of the I mean, year. I, now, I would have Manu ahead of Tony Parker. Tony Parker's numbers are better, but I feel like Manu Ginobili was a more important part of that franchise over the course of their run. It's an interesting debate, no, but no, I, no. Think, I think Harden... Is in I the conversation. Is. I think he would be. Yeah. I mean, and again, we're talking three years from now. When you, if you actually put this together, if you waited till the seventy fifth anniversary, 
So if he continues to play at this level, you know, continue. I mean, he's, he's um, three times been a top two guy for the MVP, scoring champion now. I mean, like he continues on that pace, and especially if he adds another MVP, I think that probably makes it a you know an obvious. I mean, you know, two time MVP is pretty rare company. You'd have to put him in there. How crazy is it that Oklahoma City didn't win a title? Like, uh, is that the thing yeah. we'll look back on? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they drafted. So, I mean, do you? It's one of those, and, and it's funny you bring that up. Do you? Do you congratulate them? I mean, three straight first round picks, top five picks. They drafted three straight MVPs. Pretty amazing. I mean, you you hope you know you dream of that if you have three straight picks in the top five that you're going to hit three times in a row. Um, but they didn't win a title, and and uh, they only got to one finals, you know, total. I mean, unless Westbrook gets him to a finals, you know, on his own. I mean, but right now that looks unlikely, given where things stand. Um, that Yeah, I think so. Now, the point could be made, would James Harden have won an MVP if he stayed in Oklahoma City? I doubt it, because he wouldn't have played the role he's playing now. But nonetheless, they had these three incredible players, and they – didn't fully take advantage of it. On the next crop of incredible ASU players, as you do in the wake of an NBA draft, the projections for next year's NBA draft came out, and uh, SIs had Lugans Dort getting drafted in the second round, or at least being uh, around (laughs) number 45 as, you know, most talented, most likely to be drafted. Yeah. Um, honestly, that was not the feedback during the recruiting cycle about Dort. The, the thought was Cherry could be more likely to be one and done. Dort had more of a long-term college player project, um, feel to him. And I, and one of the things that I think is interesting is when Dort committed, one of his main points about why he committed to Hurley specifically was he wanted to learn how to play the point for his right. size, and with Remy Martin on the team, I, you know, and to some extent Rob Edwards, although I think Edwards is going to mostly play the two. Yeah. Um, how many reps is he actually going to get? Because Martin's going to yeah, be on the be floor. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now we kind of played a, a two point guard system the last couple of years with Evans and Holder, um, and I would think you kind of see similar things happen. You know, and so there, you know, there might not be a one point guard in the sense that like we were when, you know, when Derek Glasser was here, like, you know, he brought the ball up the floor every time the offense started with him and fed out to, you know, whoever else, um, uh, you know, I think, you, you know, you see that more and more now in college ball teams don't have just one point guard. Oh, and I, and um, I hope that that's the case that, you know, we saw that a little last year where Mitchell would push the ball up the floor. Right. I hope that Lawrence is in a position where he can be pushing it up the floor if he gets it. Uh, I'm sure based on their high school experience that both Dort and Cherry expect yeah. to be able to. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, we have, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, to hear these guys talk about as NBA prospects is great. But, uh, you know, they've, they haven't played a single game for us yet, so we don't really know what they are yet. You know, we, I mean, we, we know what we've heard about them. And you maybe have watched some, you know, high school highlight tapes or whatever, but that's it. Um, how they play 
you know, is a mystery right now to us. I mean, as fans, we haven't seen it. Um, can he play the point guard? Can Cherry handle the ball? We really don't know. You know, that's that's the answers that we'll get here in a few months, uh, starting in early November, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I mean, I suppose you, you'd say this isn't always true. You'd say, you know, if, if these guys are in position to go one and done, that means, you know, they played really well and we had a good season. No, more and more, that's not always the case. Guys are leaving, you know, before you think they should a lot of times. And hopefully that's not the case. I mean, that's that's the outcome that's probably the worst outcome for us is we have a guy who comes here, doesn't really look the part yet, but he leaves after one year and you think, uh, okay, that's it. You're gone already. Yeah, I mean, that is the Jahi Carson fear. Right, um, right. You know, and, yeah. and I mean, God, there were tons of guys in this past draft that, you know, it's like, oh, that guy – me read the names of who got you know signed as undrafted or rookie free agent or two-way contracts for summer league like man that, that guy you know was a was a huge i mean the kid from duke trevon Doral, you know one of the top recruits in the country went undrafted like geez you know i mean uh, it's kind of amazing how many guys that happens to now in basketball and and it doesn't even seem to be a surprise anymore we're kind of just used to it yeah it, it's one of the downsides of the basketball system is, you know, more so than football because there's only a finite number of picks. If you have 30 guys, 40 guys who declare early with a real thought towards being drafted. Yeah. Plus the internationals, plus the seniors, plus, you know. Yeah. You're going to wind up with stories like that. You know, Marquette yeah, with Vander Blue had that. Right. Um, obviously, right. Jahi Carson went through that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and, and I think, I mean, I, I hate the point that we've gotten to, because this is the point we've gotten to now in, in basketball, where it's almost like, well, you're not going to improve your stock staying in college, so it's better to just come out, go undrafted, go in the second round, and, and try to make your way that way. You know, if you have to go play in Europe, or you have to play in the G League, or whatever, um, and I think that's the mentality that's that's now become the case, because these guys who do stay, most of them, their their stock drops. I mean, a great example was the kid that um, that the Celtics took at the bottom of the first round, right? Robert Williams from A and M. Last year, he was a lottery pick. He stays at school. He goes twenty seven. Uh, Miles Bridges. I mean, he went. I think what eleven or twelve. Last year, he was probably going to be a top five pick. I mean, the longer you stay, it's like yeah, we we kind of lose interest. Ah, you're yesterday's news. We want the guy who's got all the potential in the world, even if that potential will not actually be delivered on, potentially. And, and I hear you, but I think that there's a maybe a finer point to put on it, which is if you're being told you're a lottery pick, go. Oh, agreed. You agreed. Know, yeah. No, even would, even maybe disagree. if you're being told you're a first-round pick with the guaranteed money, go. You should. You should. No, no doubt. But I, I think then, you know – what we're seeing is a lot of guys who are not being told that and the, still the mentality is, well, you might as well go because staying in college ain't going to help you because the college game has become, I believe, less and less resembling of the pro games. Uh, it's overcoached. It's over-officiated. Um, you know, it's, it's still basketball, uh, you know, but it's, it's not the same. And I think the NBA teams look at the college game and say, I don't really want a kid who's been there for three or four years because – 
I'd rather have a kid who's coming who I can put in my you know in my system in the G League, coach him there for a couple years, and at 21 he's he's more adjusted to what we want as a pro team than if he was a junior coming out at 21. Yeah, but then you also, I mean the the exception to every rule, it, you know, like Malcolm Brogdon who sure was sure. who who still all- is no elite player, but came out a polished defensive. Yeah, or defense yeah, first and, and guard, and you know, absolutely. I mean, this this is why it frustrates me because every year there's a guy kind of like a Malcolm Brogdon. Now he won Rookie of the Year. It's a down year for rookies, but there's a guy like that that gets picked at the bottom of the first round or even the top of the second round, and in his rookie year, he ends up being a pretty good contributor for a good team. And like, wow, how this guy last till pick number thirty five? Well, because you didn't pick him. I mean, you know, you could see he was going to be decent, but you all kind of you were all looking for, you know, the guy who's a who's a hot shot freshman who maybe you know came off the bench, and well, maybe that guy isn't any good, but you know, we fall in love with potential, and I, well, I mean, I and kinda, that's the thing. Everyone wants to hit the home run. It's the right. you know the Suns roster is littered with big men that are you know yeah. trying to yeah. hit the home run. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the thing about, you know, when we used to have high school kids come out and the NBA team, you know, oh, this isn't good, you know, we're not. Don't take them. I mean, it's just that simple. If you don't want a high school kid who's not ready, don't take him. But everybody was afraid of missing the next Kobe or the next Garnett. I mean, the fact that Kobe lasted till 13, I think it left, a you know, a scar on all these teams. Like, oh, my God, we can't we can't miss a guy that good. You know, we got we to take him as high as we possibly can because he might turn out to be great. Some of them did. A lot of them didn't. I mean, it, you know, I shouldn't say a lot of them. It was probably a 50-50 proposition. Well, there's but, a few but that's, gamers, uh, there's a few really good players and a few busts. Well, and that's the, that's the point, though, right, is that's why those guys shouldn't – you know, that's why the next tier shouldn't go. Is right. If you don't have – if you don't know what you have, you have to, have to, have to go to college and yeah. figure it out. Because yeah. the worst case was those kids who didn't get drafted at all. Didn't get picked at all, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I am fine with letting kids come out of high school. You and I have, have discussed that, and I, I think, you know, they should be able to come out of high school. Um, you know, I would I would go further and, and you know, make it uh, more like hockey in some ways. Um, but, you know, like, no one is forcing NBA teams to take these guys out of high school or as freshmen if they're not ready. No one is holding a gun to NBA teams and GM's heads and saying, you've got to take all these freshmen. They're doing it because they feel it's the right thing to do. So then don't complain that the kids aren't ready. You know, the first nine picks were all freshmen except for the European kid. I think the first eight college kids to get picked were all freshmen. So, you know, you got nobody to blame but yourselves for the fact they're not ready to play right away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's funny because that's why you see certain teams like the Jazz who are trying to go for more of right. a, you know, we're competitive, we need a piece that fits, right. we're, we're not going to catch the Warriors. I think internally they would acknowledge that. But let's get somebody who's going to help this team build towards playoff relevance and fit sure. in. And, sure, and they be ready when, you know, if things, if things open up. Yeah, I mean, Grayson Allen is not the piece that's going to, get them past Golden State. But, you know, the Golden State run is not going to last forever. And we always tend to think that, but it's not. You know, it will. It, it almost will break ended apart. in the finals this year. 
Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it almost ended in the conference finals. You know, that's they, what they I mean. Were, sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were they were on the ropes, and you know, who knows if they had lost, would they have stayed together? I I don't know. Probably, but who knows? Um, you know, so yeah. I mean, you you just you have to you know you keep chipping away at it, and I I like what. Uh, what Utah did, I like, you know, teams that do that, uh, you know, Grayson Allen, I know he's a hot button guy, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, take a guy who he's going to come in and he's going to be ready to play some right away. Is he ever going to be an all-star? I kind of doubt it, but that's okay. You know, he can be a contributor. You don't need 12 all-stars to win. You need two or three, and then you need guys who can make shots, play defense, get rebounds, things like that. He's that type of guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think that if you are a team that is trying to build towards something and you want to do a conservative, high floor, but lower ceiling pick, right? that's the way to go. The problem is most teams are looking for the next Durant, looking <laughs> yeah, for exactly. the next you know, Harden Anthony Davis and, and yeah, I mean, and I get it. I get it. You know, you, you're, you, uh, you know, you want the guy who projects as a potential superstar, but again, you have, you have only, you know, and I'm not suggesting collusion. I'm, I'm suggesting like if you're an NBA team and you're frustrated with the fact that, Oh, all these guys at the top of the draft, they're inexperienced and they don't know how to play. Don't take them. You know, it's that simple. No one is forcing you. It's yeah. not collusion, it's pack mentality. And it's right, different. it is. It is, yeah. And, and I do really believe that all goes back to, you know, Garnett and Kobe. They were the first two high school guys to come out. Garnett was the best player in that draft, as it turned out. He lasted to five. Kobe Bryant was uh, the best player in a really, really good draft. I mean, the 96 draft was really good, but you'd, you'd still say Kobe was probably the best. He lasted to 13. And I think teams got gun shy of like well we we can't miss out on the next one you know we can't let this guy pass and then three years from now he's a star we gotta we gotta take Kwame Brown because he might be a star well he wasn't or Tyson Chandler who's had a nice long journeyman like career but not a star complete with a ring right on a ring defensive player of the year really I mean a very good player but number two overall picked probably not worth that you know I mean I don't know maybe I guess you know it depends on the not for the Bulls. Certainly the team that took him number two overall did not get that good out of him. Other teams down the road, he played pretty well. But that's the thing. You know, it took him until he was about 28, 29, 30 years old to really mature into, a, you know, a big-time player as far as being a contributor. Never really developed an offensive game. Was a great defensive player, good rebounder, all that. Um, you know, but never really became an offensive force at all. Yeah. Except for dunks. And still, of the three guys that got picked there, by far the best. Eddie Curry washed out of the league quickly. Had a you know a couple decent years. Washed out. Kwame Brown didn't even have a couple decent years. Um, you know, so again, no one forced those teams to pick him there. They picked him there because they thought it was the right pick. Well, it didn't always turn out that way. Yeah. One final NBA topic, which is revisiting an earlier NBA topic. There's a new ESPN report that the Lakers are feeling pressure that they have to get the Kawhi deal done by Friday. 
Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Magic came out and said, if we don't land somebody big in the next two years, I'll resign. Yeah. Uh, and walk away. The report from ESPN says that the Spurs have fielded calls from the Sixers, Celtics, Clippers, and a missing one. Um, uh, I can't remember. But I, I saw it too. But but a lot of teams. And sure. The the question I have for you is: Isn't this just the little big league scenario with the pitcher from the Twins who was like? I'm not going to play unless you trade me. And they're like, well, what's the market rate for a guy who refuses to play? Right. Don't, right. don't the Spurs yeah. have some incentive to be like, no, no, you'll, you'll be here. And if you they don't do. play, then yeah. you don't play for us. Yeah. I mean, this is very reminiscent of last year's drama with Cleveland and Kyrie Irving, which, you know, the, the, the thought was, well, you know what? Ultimately Cleveland doesn't have to trade him. And they didn't. They did not have to trade him. But, you know, players, as we talked about last week, players do have more power in the NBA than they have in the other sports. And they can wield that power in unruly ways. And Kawhi Leonard probably did it already. I mean, the story goes that Kyrie Irving essentially told the Cavs, hey, if you keep me, I'm going to have knee surgery. I would be out all year. Um, That may be what Kawhi Leonard did last year, was essentially say, I'm hurt. Sorry. Uh, and, and there's nothing preventing him from doing it again. I mean, I suppose it hurts his value some, but it sure hasn't right now. We're having this conversation about Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, is he the missing piece to help LeBron? And I'm thinking, uh, is, wait a minute, isn't he hurt? Did, did I miss something? Didn't he miss all but nine games this past year? Are we sure that that's the missing piece for LeBron and to win more titles? Well, and it's also a question, if you're the buyer... How are you, you know, I guess the good thing for Kawhi, if he wants to go somewhere, is he has his own doctor, so he can send his own medical records to teams. But on the flip side, if he doesn't want to go there, well, sure, you can take the the Spurs medical records, but those are inaccurate, and I don't believe them. Well, yeah, and then you get into kind of a discussion that we have in baseball a lot of, okay, you know, if you're the Celtics, and he says, I'm going to, I mean, it's sort of the gamble that Oklahoma City took on Paul George, and we'll see if that gamble's going to pay off or not. But the gamble is, okay, he wants to go to L.A., we're going to trade for him, and he'll be here for a year, and we'll make him think that this is the place for us. But who knows? I mean, if he's dead set on, in you know, 2019, I'm a free agent, I'm going to L.A. one way or another, I don't care. Don't you have to be a little wary of trading assets for him? You only get him for one year? Is that worth it? I, I don't know. Maybe it is. I guess it depends on your team and if you think you can win a title next year or not. Yeah, I think it's a combination of outcome uh, determinative. You know, mm-hmm. it's, if you get him and you're comfortable with what you gave up for one year and, and the risk, then it you know it's process, not result. But ultimately, right. you'll be judged on result. And right. if you, the piece right. you give up turns out to be great and you have him for a year where – he plays, you know, 60 games, but yeah. gets hurt in the final stretch and you fall to the three seed and then he's 80% for the playoffs. And, you know, yeah. that, then looking back, you'll say, wow, that was a terrible choice. Right. You know, right. in the moment, right. you might have agreed with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting. I mean, the you know, the drama surrounding all this is why I laugh when you brought it up because it's so, it's so soap opera ish, you know, 
the Lakers are feeling pressure and Magic's under pressure to get Kawhi. And I mean, it's like we're watching Days of Our Lives or something like that. You know, um, I mean, the the Spurs are under no obligation to help the Lakers rebuild things. Like, I mean, if the Lakers can give them the best offer, then they should take it. The notion that they should just close the door on the Lakers is kind of crazy to me too. You take the best offer you could get. If you've decided that you have to trade him, you're moving on to trading him. You get the best offer regardless of who and where it is. Um, but you're also under no obligation to play your part in the NBA's, you know, Game of Thrones and help the Lakers challenge the Warriors. Nah. I mean, you know, if they'll give you the best offer, take it. If not, go somewhere else. Yeah, and, and there's, I think, some logic to I'm not going to trade them in the conference. But that logic kind of goes out the window if you're not also competing for the title. Right, exactly. And, 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 and trading you know, Kawhi, I mean, no matter how good you feel about LaMarcus Aldridge and, you know, whether well, you saw Parker, they were last year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were a seven seed, you know, like, like they're good enough to, to get to the playoffs surrounded by LaMarcus Aldridge and, and you know, the, the cast they had or a few, you know, pieces mixed and matched. But yeah, they're probably not a title contender, uh, you know, so... So that is a, that is a point I would agree with. Like, if you're not a title contender right now, then I don't think you play scared of sending him to somewhere in the West again, provided that they'll give you a good offer. I mean, it's, oh, it's one think, of those. And I think that's the best offer. If if the if they put Ingram on the table, right, and some combination of Kuzma or Ball and picks, mm-hmm. or Kuzma and Ball and a pick, right, uh, you know. Yeah, that's you a pretty it. good young oh, core yeah. to take. I would absolutely. I mean, if they're going to, if they'd be willing to trade Ingram and Kuzma, I don't know that a team could could better that deal. I'm certainly more interested in that than a than a Sixers deal focused around Markel Fultz. That no, no I mean, thanks. Because I mean, what, what I've heard from various podcasts is, is you know a Fultz Sarich deal. Yeah, uh, uh, no, or I'm an, not interested in that. Or an Ingram plus one of the two deal, or a Jalen Brown centered. And that deal. one's that one's tempting. Um, I mean, of course, I you know, if I'm running the Spurs, I'd rather have Jason Tatum. Yeah, but I, I think Tatum might be untouchable. Not interested in that. Yeah, um, uh, you know, that's tempting. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess if it came down to would I rather have Jalen Brown or Brandon Ingram. I'm not sure. I mean, I think they both can be really good players. I don't know that either is going to be, uh, you know, an MVP level player like Kawhi Leonard. But again, as we started this conversation, sometimes you don't know. You know, I mean, five, six years ago, probably would not have guessed Westbrook and James Harden would win back to back MVPs. They became those type of players. So maybe, maybe they can be still. Um, but it's a good piece. Either way, it's a good piece to build around. Maybe they're not an MVP, but at least probably an all-star potential for both of them, I think. One thing we talked about right before we started recording, which I wanted to just touch on, is this whole idea of players are now opting in to be traded as opposed to going on the market because it makes it easier for them to to be dealt or they get to keep their salary. I've heard that with DeAndre Jordan, the, (laughs) the idea is he'll opt in and then force a trade to Dallas. Well, to Dallas. Can yeah. you believe that? Yeah. I mean, that's off the point, but still, my God. Who would have guessed those two would get back together? He could be making this much money in Dallas this year. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I know. Insane. But 
anyway, yes, go on. Well, when you the other thing, since we're we've gone down this road, if you look at all of the guys who have been um, part of the group that locked him in the right in the room, they're gone. They're all gone. Yes, they are. Everyone's yeah. gone. Yes, they are. Yeah, Even Austin Rivers. <laughs> um, but but still, you know, with how butthurt Dallas was, and deservedly, I mean, I, I don't, they weren't wrong. Man, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I suppose you got to get over it. You know, but wow, I, I couldn't stop laughing when I read that yesterday. Like, of all places to read, you know, DeAndre Jordan might want to sign a trade to Dallas. Like, what? Does, do, have we all forgotten what happened a couple years ago? They just really like him. I guess. I guess, yeah. And I don't know, but you're right. I mean, yeah, the, the opt-ins are are interesting. Again, another example of, of, you know, players kind of realizing their power and their ways to manipulate the system and make more money. And, um, you know, there's, there's that built-in advantage for NBA teams to re-sign your guys for more money, go over the cap. And, and so being really on the market as a free agent, in a lot of ways – you know, unless you're a guy like LeBron, is not the ideal outcome because is a team going to give you all that money when that means they can't go over the cap? They have to clear room for you. Yeah. Well, and it leads me to this thought, though, and I, I guess I just don't know how it would work. Is there eventually going to be a bluff-calling moment in the NBA where a player opts in with the idea that I'm going to opt in to go to mm-hmm. Dallas or whatever? Mm-hmm. And, sure. and they try it here, and he opts in, and the Clippers say, yeah, we're talking to Dallas. We think we can work out a deal. And he opts in, and then the Clippers say, actually, we're going to send you to the Pacers. Yeah, I think they could. I mean, what's to prevent them? Uh, I mean, that's that's what happened with Chris Paul, and it was all kind of handshake. Okay, I'm going to opt in. You're going to send me to Houston. Done deal. Um you know, I, I guess the I guess the risk of that for an NBA team is if you do that, do you become sort of, you know, the team that nobody can trust? Like if you do that to a player, if you say, okay, well, yep, you opt in, we'll trade you to whatever destination you want, then you don't. I mean, isn't that something that's going to be used against you as long as that front office is in place by other agents, other players? Like, well, you don't want to go there. You can't trust them. Maybe, although I do think if they have the money, you'll take their money. Probably um, so. You're right. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it becomes – it's kind of a similar conversation to what's obviously come up so much about the Sixers with the Brian Colangelo thing. It's like, you know, is this going to hurt them with free agents? Eh, ah, maybe. I, I mean, probably not now since he's gone. Um, I mean, maybe it would have, but at the same time, you're right. I mean, you know, if the Sixers are willing to pay you the most money, aren't you probably going to be like, yeah. I don't like that Brian Colangelo guy. But, yeah, I like your paycheck. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll sign that. Yeah, I mean, if you offered somebody the Reddick deal, the one-year $23 sure. million. Sure. But You're probably I, doing it. Yeah. I, so, there are a lot of places I that I would go work for a year for $23 oh, sure. million. Dollars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you give me, a, you know, one-tenth of that, but I'd still go work there for a year. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, so, you know. And I think that's part of it is you just kind of have to suck it up if that happens. Sure. Now, now, I agree with you. It, it sets a bad precedent and, and the team probably becomes a pariah as far as the Players yeah, Association is I'm, concerned. But it's, it's either that or making a stand at some point and saying, we're not trading you. 
show up. Well, and that that to me is is the other one. Yeah, and that's where I thought you were going with it first of saying, okay, look, if you're going to opt in, you're staying with us, or you're going to sit out. And that's you know, if you want to sit out, I guess we can't prevent you from doing that. You know, but but you know, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you know the the Clippers certainly could have said that to Chris Paul last year. Of, hey, uh, you know, good idea, but thanks, but no. The advantage, I guess, though, for a team is, you know, you say, well, at least we can get something back, you know, rather than you leaving as just a free agent. I mean, again, that's kind of the incentive for the team to play their part is the Clippers did get a lot of players in return. And they got about half the Rockets roster from last year. True. Although the thing you get in return is the year of playing basketball right, from the guy. Right. Exactly. I mean, you have to decide if it's uh, – Again, it comes back to that player power. Can the player make it untenable? I mean, if Chris Paul said, I'm opting in, and they said, okay, well, fine, we're not trading you. I mean, a guy like Chris Paul especially, he is uh, kind of borders on malcontent anyway. He could probably make it really a miserable situation. And he, so do you want that? I mean, the the cross-sport reference I have is a Gary Sheffield with the Brewers where he right. was miserable about being right. in Milwaukee. Just right. livid. And he basically told them, this was back when he played in the infield, <laughs> if you play me and a ball is hit to me, I will throw it in the stands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, you'd like to think, you know, a player would be better than that, but not always. I mean, I, you know, the one I remember, of course, of making just something so miserable was, was T.O. with the Eagles. He wanted that new deal. The Eagles said, no. And he made it so miserable that by halfway through the year, they told him, just go away. We'll pay you to just not be here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it it really is one of those, like, are you, you know, does the team, if LeBron says, look, I'm going to opt into this deal, but I want to go to L.A., I want to go to Philly, whatever. I mean, if you're the Cavs, do you just say, you know, best outcome here is we're going to get something back? We may not love the outcome, but it's better than any other outcome of him leaving with nothing back or, you know, and again, again, you kind of have to have that wink, wink agreement of like, if I opt in, you're trading me. And if you don't do that, then you become, you know, the organization that nobody wants to go to. Although LeBron in Cleveland is an interesting one for a couple reasons. One, without LeBron, Cleveland might be an organization no one wants to go to. True, true. And LeBron's not going to phone it in. If, no, he's not. If he opts in and you say no, he's still going to try to win the title. He's not going to not yeah, try to win the I, title. I mean, he's, he's very conscious of his image. And, yeah, I don't see him being the type like or maybe a Chris Paul to just make it so miserable and, and you know, kind of try to, you know, tank the – tank the team or you know i mean that's that's not that's not his way though i do Uh, the thing he would do is i think he would see him use his soapbox to express his displeasure with how he was treated oh oh he'd be all in on the passive aggressive stuff because he's great at that i mean i i like lebron a lot he's one of my favorite athletes but he is the master of the passive aggressive shot and if anything like that happened, I mean, it, it would be like every other day. You'd be getting, you know, passive-aggressive LeBron tweets or comments to the media. Yeah. I mean, this is why this is why the NBA is what it is now. I mean, the, the off-season has become just as, if not more, entertaining than the regular season. 
Uh, you know, we love the drama. We love this, you know, like I said, this, you know, magic's under pressure. Will the Spurs trade Kawhi? What will LeBron do? I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's soap opera-like and people love it. Yeah. Well, we'll be uh, here to talk to you about the soap opera next week. But uh, until that time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. 